The Guardian. Media Talk is brought to you by the Marketing Agencies Association's Best Awards. To celebrate British marketing and advertising excellence, head to guardian.co.uk slash best awards. Hello, I'm Matt Wells. Welcome to your weekly fix of Media Talk coming up. Could you imagine if Terry Wogan hadn't been paid for two months? Could you imagine? Would, would you ever think that would even happen? Do you think they would forget to pay Chris Evans for two months and nobody would panic about it? The BBC's top radio man, Tim Davey, talks to us about that Chris Moore's rant and those Sarah Kennedy rumours. Also in the podcast... For the residents of Notting Hill, in seven days a lot can happen. I don't want to go to another sex shop. <laughs> I don't want to be a maid. But now what can happen may be influenced by you. Channel 4 launches its new reality TV series, Were You Gripped by Seven Days?, Plus, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg overtakes Rupert Murdoch on the Forbes Rich List. And is the magic about to be put back into Saturday Night TV? I like it. Not a lot, <laughs> but I like it. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Tuesday, the 21st of September 2010, a date that's sure to etch itself into the minds of media types the world over, it was the day that Twitter stopped working. Well, I've recovered from my uh, few hours of non-tweeting, but uh, how did my panellists cope? Jay Martison is the editor of Media Guardian. Uh, you're, you're, you're quite an avid... Uh, an mm. avid uh, uh, well, it was all right, because Tweet Deck was okay, wasn't it? So yes. you could sort of <laughs> do the Tweet Deck. It was odd, because you get that sense of, because of all the sort of emails going around, saying, don't touch Twitter, that you didn't want to touch any or hover anywhere. Yes. So I tended to sort of not really update very much. Yeah, you're, you're, Maggie Brown uh, is uh, a Media Guardian columnist. <laughs> you're more of a carrier pigeon kind of gal, aren't you? More, I, I, I'm afraid I don't tweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, more from Maggie and Jane in a moment, but we'll kick off proceedings this week by hearing from Tim Davey, the BBC's Director of Audio and Music. Uh, now, we made this booking a while ago, and the purpose of this interview was to drum up some publicity for next month's radio festival, which Tim is chairing. But then this happened. I'm so, I can't tell you how furious I am. I haven't been paid. I haven't been paid for, like, since the end of July. And no one cares about it. No one's bothered. And I can't tell you how angry it's made me. And I just, yesterday I just thought to myself, why should I even bother hauling my ass out about a half five? I just, why should I bother? If they can't be bothered, why should I bother? And I was texting my agent last night, I'm so angry. Because they've put me in this position where now I have to choose whether or not I go to work. They come about to pay me, why should I come in? It's a two-way street. Mm. It's a huge lack of respect to me and a massive F you to me. Some mm. of the listeners are saying you should ask for cash up front. So if you like, I'll ask them to leave a little envelope for me every morning. Yeah, but well, let, let, let's do it now. Are we, are we allowed let's to do, do that? Andy Parfit, Ben Cooper, <laughs> Tim Davey, Mark Thompson. Right, seriously, what is it worth for me to carry on till, let's say, seven? A tenner? <laughs> That's Radio One's Chris Moores using the opening half hour of his breakfast show on Wednesday to air his dirty laundry. He did use, he did use the entire half hour, by the way. Uh, those were just some of the edited highlights. Uh, now, aside from Moyles, Tim Davey uh, has also had the now former Radio 2 presenter Sarah Kennedy hitting back about rumours that uh, an alleged drink problem led her to leave the BBC. Uh, so all in all, there was plenty on our agenda when Tim came into the Media Talk uh, studio. Uh, I asked him whether he was listening to Radio 1 at 6.30 on Wednesday. 
Nope, I wasn't. I normally, to be fair, I get in the car and turn on today initially, so I missed um, Mr. Moore's first half hour. Do you think that it's appropriate for one of your uh, your major stars to use his privileged position uh, behind the microphone to have a rant about uh, his uh, employee relations? I, I don't think it's utterly inappropriate. I think at the end of the day, Chris is always going to be um, someone who speaks his mind. These listeners know that. You know, I, I think it was a lively broadcast. He, you know, he, he he's said it, he had a pretty rough morning, but that's what listeners expect from Moyles. I'm not a morning person, he, he, he says. I, some, I sometimes don't do mornings very well. The guy is a very highly paid morning DJ. Don't you think that there's a bit of an issue there? Well, I think, you know, take, take that comment with uh, a little bit of a pinch of salt. I mean, if you read the whole quote, you know, he's clearly uh, had a, a, a pretty tough day. But having said that, you know, for... Shouldn't have gone on for half an hour, though, should it? I mean, if I, if I, fair enough, I, I, I have a bit of a go. But it, it goes back to the, all the compliance stuff. Why wasn't there somebody there to say, hang on, in, in his ear, Chris, well, that's 10 minutes, we've had enough of this now. But I think at the end of the day, th- there's a huge difference between deep editorial issues that are causing offence to the audience and whether a DJ like Chris is talking about uh, and, frankly, ranting about something for a while. People like myself um, are very clear that we want to give you know, um, DJ space to do their thing. That's, that's what we do. And I, you know, uh, with hindsight, you can always say, was that the best line? Was it not? That, that's not really the job. Um, that's different to whether you know, there's a breach of editorial standards where I think we've got to be very tough. You decided, though, that uh, you weren't going to give uh, Sarah Kennedy any more space to do her thing. It has been reported that you and uh, Bob Shannon were concerned about uh, her, uh, how should we put this, state of health. Is that true? Well, I think the first, the first point I make is, as Sarah has said, as we've said, it's utterly clear. You know, she went away over the summer and decided that um, after 17 years getting up at four o'clock, she wanted to move to move off the show. She has said that, uh, that she felt that, bit that people in the hierarchy of BBC Radio were briefing against her. Well, you know, that, I, I think you can pick apart the article. I wouldn't, I wouldn't quite characterise it as that. But the, the decision was hers. Um, I think, yeah, again, Matt, we, we've got DJs that over 17 years, you're going to have broadcasts, you, you speak to people about, you worry about the quality of, that's just normal business. And I think, um, you know, no one, no one is immune from that. At the end of the day, she made the decision. Did the controller of Radio 5 Live tell you uh, in his interview that he uh, didn't intend to move to uh, Salford permanently? I wasn't in the interview. I mean, I think all I, all, I mean, and what I would um, repeat is what Adrian said on the record, which is, you know, he, he gave, the, the, at the time, he was very clear that his firm intention was to move north. Um, you know, in discussions with the family, he has said now initially he's going to rent. And, you know, he's been, how, he's how been do, clear on that. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? Well, I think, I think the, the primary... Not qu- the best kind of... Deal, the deal, primary question for us is, uh, is can someone do the job? Uh, and do a, a do, do run run the station. Well, well. obviously I mean, they, they can do do the job, but the question is, should they? Because there's there, there's an issue of leadership, isn't there? Well, I think you know that's that is a question that uh, you have to balance across the whole all of the people moving north. I think on on balance we've had and quite I think, a lot of people are being made to move north and can't afford to do the whole kind of you know because because you, you, you're not going to pay pay for his cho- this is his choice that, 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 he, his that choice. he does this and other people don't have that choice because they're not paid so much. Well, so. I, I don't think they're being made. To, I mean, you know, people are given right, okay, the option, sure, sure, sure. and you know, actually, if you look at the acceptance rates of people moving north, I think we're close to fifty percent at the moment, which is actually really healthy. And it's worth saying that in terms of the um, um, relocation arrangements, it's a, a level playing field for all, and absolutely that's. 
it's appropriate. But going back to back to the issue, you haven't really answered it. Is it is it appropriate? Do you think you say he can do the job, but don't you think it, it would be there's a matter of leadership there, and that he really ought to? It's a question of what he ought to do, and he ought to move. On. All I'd say is I'm happy with the current arrangements. Okay. Um, uh, six music. Are you are you listening to six music? I've always listened to a lot of six music, Matt. And you know, I'm I'm almost I've been on the record so many times yes. on this. I mean, you know, uh, musically, I'm I'm pretty close to six music. The debate, and I'm off on my I'm on my high horse again. Come on, but, but the, um, the the debate was never about whether we present those genres of music um, in in that eclectic way. There was a debate about how many standalone networks we had, and anyone who knows me personally knows, you know, and I know I got an absolute beating for it in terms of um, saying that. You know, I, I care about those genres of music, but yeah, absolutely, I listen to a lot of six. So, is is that is that debate uh, over now? Um, the BBC Trust has take, taken its decision. Has your focus moved on to other well, things? We're, we're going to. I mean, I, th- I do think there's a real question around the power of the digital portfolio. So, you've said we've, we've said look, which you talked we're about before, is four yeah. extra. And now, I think we have to show the detail of that, and, okay. we're, and we're cooking that up at the moment. So, you know, some powerful. What's the powerful offer for four extra? Where does Five Live Sports extra go? One extra, etc. So. Now, so having said yeah. that, um, I've said on the record, and it's absolutely, absolutely where we'll be, which is within that portfolio, a standalone strong six music is what I want to see. Tim Davy there. Now we'll hear more from him later on, including all his big plans for the radio festival, which is uh, promising to be a very good event. But let's go back to the beginning of that interview and what he was saying about Chris Moore's uh, and Sarah Kennedy. Chris Moore's first. I mean, Jane Martinson, it was, it was an extraordinary rant, and you do wonder what was going on there, that, that relations between him, Moyles, and, and his bosses seem to have just reached a bit of a low. Well, I think, I mean, after that interview, and Tim Davy was saying, um, this is what Chris Moyles does. If you stop Chris Moyles going on air ranting about himself and his opinions, you don't have a DJ. Um, you know, I'm not going to be there at 6.30. I'm not a fan. I found it slightly astonishing that he has um, 640,000 followers on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what it does show, which is quite interesting, is how the BBC is caught basically the whole issue over talent. Here you have someone earning 630,000 a year on air for half an hour using public airways to moan about the fact he hadn't been paid for a couple of months and so you know that that sort of in in sort of microcosm Which I, i'm sure they weren't deliberately not paying well that, that, a, it's an error but up. in microcosm haven't you got you know you've got the rest of the public going how much are they paid and and they've got the talents that actually they give a lot of money to and really want to keep happy on air going it's an outrage i hate the bbc so you know if you are tim davio and the bbc management in general it sort of just goes to show what they've got to put up with, doesn't it? Maggie, what do you think? I thought it was completely unprofessional. Um, I, I've, I've had some dealings with Chris Moore's. I mean, he is what he is. Mm. He's a great big beast of breakfast uh, radio. It is incredible that nobody stopped him and jumped on top of him. Um, it, it shows you really... Because all the producers, they're all in the studio, aren't, aren't right. they? They're all on air. The, and and they have, there isn't somebody who can say, right, I'm Chris, I'm turning your microphone off now. Well, it shows you really how fragile the BBC's reputation could be in situations like that. Uh, if I was Tim Davy and I was Andy Parfit, the controller of Radio 1, uh, I would be seeing rather like a car having a red light flashing and running out of uh, juice. I would be worried now about Chris Moore's. It, all, it happens quite uh, regularly in spasms with breakfast presenters. Uh, Chris Evans famously went off the rails um, in the late 90s. The early mornings, the, the pressures of, of being almost sort of fighting the clock, do 
do get to a lot of people, and that it, that also applies to television breakfast presenters. I'm not so much talking now about the current mm. Daybreak team, but Adrian Charles. But you know, we saw it with Fiona Phillips as well. Mm. Um, I, I think he probably the, the reason they 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 have Moyles, and and he's been the longest serving presenter is that we know Radio One basically appeals outside of London. He's not he's he's what he is, and he does appeal to a certain constituency, which the BBC finds hard to address. Um, and that is the strength of his uh, position. But um, I, I would be planning now a succession. Mm. Do, you, do you think that's it, right, Jane? Well, I think what's interesting, and, and that sort of, you know, watching the exploding kettle, um, is that <laughs> where he... And I mean, Sarah Kennedy, again, yes. the interesting thing about Sarah Kennedy, of course, is that the, the awful August broadcast, which I think is more an issue of why the producers weren't saying, you're sounding slurred, I don't know what the reason is, but we should do something about this. Um, but also about the fact that she actually, much earlier in her career, you know, she famously said some pretty controversial things about, you know, why black people do well in athletics, for example. Yet she wasn't actually sacked then. Now, that's going to be the thing to watch because obviously when BBC guidelines about really bad taste, you know, race, gender, all these things that actually you've got to watch people. It's okay ranting on about himself. Well, maybe not okay, but if listeners are still listening in after half an hour, then they're great fans of his. If he starts saying things that are abusive because he's tired or has a tummy bug, that's another thing. And the BBC have got to be really careful about that. Yeah, well, there was some some comments about this on the the, the blog. Pirate Twin, sort had his back pay, sort had his holiday pay, sort had his severance pay, prepares P40. Mm. Um, now, on Sarah, Sarah Kennedy, you mentioned uh, this. This is what she said in her interview with The Telegraph. I, I have known for an awfully long time that I have got an enemy at the BBC and I would love to know who it is. Is it Helen Dedekind? <laughs> no, that was a joke. I think it was a joke. You don't see me in Bougies, the Yorkshire Grey, or wherever it is they go. I got up for 17 years on orange juice or water. I wish someone would stick up for me. Do you think that she got a rough ride, Maggie? Or, or do you think, it, as, you, as, as you were sort of suggesting with, with Chris Moores, that it just came to a point where she'd done enough of those dreadful hours and perhaps it was time to go? I think it's a combination. I think she has had some eccentric views which have, have um, sat increasingly uh, awkwardly in, within the BBC, politically correct as it has to be. Um, she is, let's face it, I think either 60 or 61. There is a point when people do uh, maybe graciously retire or decide to do something else. It would be a shame... I'm younger if she's as a female presenter, Maggie, than uh, it's quite a lot of post-61 yes, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> what I mean is, though, people can just get tired of getting up so early. It's mm. a shame, really, that Radio 2 perhaps can't find, um, you know, accommodates her in a, in, a, in a more kind of uh, reasonable slot because she does have a big following and um, she is an accomplished broadcaster. That, that's mm. what they've done with people like Terry Wogan. Admittedly, yeah. he's, he's in his 70s and, he, you know, she, she's, she's got a, a voice and she's got a position um, and it would have certainly lanced uh, the bitterness if she had been given something which was a bit more perhaps uh, easy for her to, 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 to fulfil. I'm Matt Wells. You're listening to Media Talks. Time to move on to a few of the other stories making the media headlines this week. Um, first, a good old-fashioned uh, bit of media policy, which we all, all love. Uh, the Lib Dem culture spokesman Don Foster announced at, at the party conference that the National Audit Office will have carte blanche to investigate uh, the BBC's books. Um, I mean, this, is, this has been a story that, that has been on the blocks for years. I remember it being an issue, you know, God, when I was a media correspondent, this is going back 10 years. And finally, the NEO has, is, is going in. Um, people say that it's, it might compromise the BBC's editorial independence, Jane, but will it? Mark Thompson 
Jonathan has a view on this, which is that the NAO, you know, it, it's no no sort of uh, stranger to the BBC. Mm. I mean, the big report last year, the audit of the buildings project has showed that huge overspending. That was an NAO report. The issue here, which is interesting, I think, is this sort of whether it reports to the PAC, the Parliamentary uh, Committee, yeah. because... Because the trust is in such a weakened position at the moment, with Michael Lyons saying he's going, they've sort of they've almost ceded control. It seems to this, you know, it's a different thing if the trust is saying to the NAO, "You have the facility to go into the BBC to see if it's actually providing value for money." That seems to me really reasonable. If, however, it becomes an adjunct of Parliament, that's a very different thing, mm, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Ma- Ma- Maggie, do you think it's a problem? Not really, no. I think also that we have to remember the National Audit Office went into the World Service in 1989 and uh, Sir John Tusser, who ran the World Service, wrote a letter to the Times last week or two weeks ago saying basically it had been, uh, although they'd resisted it, it hadn't been a problem. Uh, They'd had a year or so at the World Service to sort of perhaps clean themselves up before the NAO came in. This was on the cards. Uh, The the Trust um, does get the reports um, and also we're we're assured that the um, Audit Office stay away from uh, issues of editorial control and they're not also going to publish um, star salaries. Those will remain confidential, which is actually something I agree with, to be Mm. be It's easier to leak, though. I was thinking with that. Yes, maybe it will. You have more people crawling over the figures. I tell you what the problem for the BBC is, actually, uh, and I I find this the whole time now, and I found it when I was writing the story about the fact that the key people, executives, were not going to Salford, that the, the top brass at the BBC have managed to alienate almost everybody else at the BBC. Mm-hmm. So the leaks, when we've had, for example, Jonathan Ross leaks or leaks about other things, they haven't come from uh, external sources. They come from people working within the BBC who are just appalled at what mm-hmm. is going on. When I wrote the story about the fact Peter Salmon wasn't going to um, Salford, um, I can't tell you the number of uh, BBC executives who were absolutely just outraged by the whole thing. And you also have PR saying... We're just amazed nobody wrote this story before because it's been infuriating all of us up up here in Salford. Mm. And this is the same thing now you can see with the pensions, for example, and with executive pay. The the BBC is operating in a really hostile world where old uh, loyalties are broken down. Let's uh, let's move on to a bit of television. Channel 4 has been making waves this week. It's launched its uh, this new reality format, Seven Days. Um, I suppose it's kind of docu-soap with a difference, isn't it? Um, the with the big thing being, being the quick turnaround time between filming and transmission. And it's set in and around... Well, sometimes it's a very Richard Curtis, Notting Hill, and sometimes it's a very not Richard Curtis, Notting Hill. Here, um, here's the uh, promo. I'm the girl next door. The guy with... The hair. The one you can't... Take your eyes off. I'm trouble. Allegedly. And a florist. Definitely. I can make you cry. I'm a property mogul. And I can't afford the rent. I'm posh. And I'm the one who pulls the pints. I've been here forever. And I've only just... Arrived. I call this place... Heaven. I call this place... A mess. In seven days, a lot can happen here. And a lot usually does. Come and take a look around. We've left the door open. In the life of uh, now, I have to say, I watched the, the first episode only because it happened to be on. I'd forgotten about it. It was I was watching Grand Designs, which is the new series back. <laughs> yes, back and it was a very good episode last night. I loved that house. Um, but uh, <laughs> but why but isn't it, everybody watching Mad Men? I know. Well, oh, I, I watch Mad Men on catch up. I don't, I don't. Oh, I can't bear not to watch it at the minute oh, really? it comes. No, out. no. So anyway, so seven, <laughs> seven days uh, came on straight after Grand Designs. No break, straight into it. Uh, and I have to say, Maggie, I thought it was Maggie, It was it was completely riveting. I, mean, I really enjoyed it. 
it. And uh, uh, the, the unfortunate thing for Channel 4, though, is it only got 1.2 million viewers, and they're very upset about this. They regard it as a disappointing launch. I thought it was very beautifully filmed. I thought the people living their sort of parallel lives, I especially like Mokhtar, the, the Islamic um, mm. law student who was working in, in, Peter, in John Lewis. He just, I'm afraid he just made me just giggle the was, whole time. He was a hoot. He, he is was a, a hoot. Yes. Well, quite a I mean, there were a lot of people. I, I, I would watch it, but uh, I am worried in, in a strange way that perhaps it's too metropolitan, perhaps it's too London-oriented. Um, I, I hope it grows, but it is very, very hard to get what is a kind of quasi-soap lasting an hour in this format, which is actually quite old-fashioned in terms of observational documentary, away to an audience at 10 o'clock at night. Because it, actually, it's people... It, it's quite the opposite of Big Brother, um, in a way. In that it, it is, Jane, it is not taking people out of their comfort zones. It's very much people in their, in mm. their comfort zones and just watching what they do. And, and the, the, I guess the good thing about it is the, is the casting. Um, uh, Maggie was saying that, that the viewing figures weren't that great, but I know, because I was following you on Twitter, you... You you went to it for um, yeah. for the for the, for for the, the end because I think on minutes. Twitter there was a real sort of buzz around yeah. what was happening and I thought oh I won't wait for catch up I'll just turn over and see the end. I mean there's some really interesting comments um, on the site about about the, the program and I mean the huge thing about it being Notting Hill London centric that's come o- across so hugely that you know why pick Notting Hill and Stephen Lambert has said. Um, you know, it, it gave a great way of sort of getting the rich and the poor. Well, probably other parts of the world. And also, I mean, you know, Notting Hill, it's already so well known, is it, for so many things. Yeah. Notting Hill, you know, Notting Hill, Notting Hill Billies, the Cameron set. I mean, there's, you sort of do wish. It's such a missed opportunity. And if they if they do carry on and do this sort of eight week and then more, you sort of hope that they do eight weeks in Notting Hill and then just go somewhere, maybe north, go outside the M25. Yeah. Shortage, shortage, maybe. <laughs> I mean, not even <laughs> south Dull, of the Dull, river, just Dull Outside the M25, <laughs> um, okay. I thought that, uh, the, the, there was an interesting bit because because they pr- they promo the website heavily throughout, and there's supposed to be this interactivity where you can influence their lives, comment upon what they were doing, and su- suggest things that they should do for the f- following week. But I thought the website was terrible. I, I, I don't know if you logged onto it, but no, it was I didn't just shocking. There was, it, you, um, you looked at it, I thought I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Where in where on this page am I supposed to do any Give of this? Suggest- what were you going to suggest then? Well, I wasn't. I, I wasn't. I was looking on a, for a professional <laughs> interest <laughs> to see if they'd managed to, to build a, a good website. It, was just, it, it looked as if they paid somebody a lot of money. And there were too many ideas, and it was too complicated. And I think so the danger of that. I mean, you, I do want to go and have a look, but the danger of that is obviously all the suggestions will be either you know, vaguely pornographic <laughs> or just all sort of not something you would see on. Yeah, yeah. TV. No, I, f- I feel sorry for Julian Bellamy, the outgoing director of television, because uh, or, or Channel Four rather, because um, in a way this is one of his um, signature new picks, mm. and um, it has a lot going for it. But as we can see, it's also got a lot not going for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how it develops in the next few weeks. I'll definitely be watching. I thought it was, I thought it was a hit from me. We should have bells and you know, hit, <laughs> hits or misses. I think should be watching yeah, too. Really yeah. Thumbs definitely. up. Yeah. Thumbs up and thumbs down. Um, we started by talking about money. Uh, let, let's do a bit more about money. The new Forbes Rich List is out. Bill Gates stays top with a f- personal fortune of fifty-four billion dollars. But the, the the story that everyone's written is about the highest riser this year, who is the Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg. His wealth is up two hundred and forty-five. 
percent to six point four billion dollars. He's only he's still only twenty six years old, and Facebook is worth more than News News Corporation. Jane, this is this is quite quite interesting, isn't it? And the rise of Facebook, mm. and still, it's not a you know you, you think where the, the, this is all fake money, isn't it? This, the, the, the the valuation of Facebook, particularly, and the valuation of Mark, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg is paper well, valuation. It is, it is. But look at how quickly the paper money of Google was translated into actual real cash and private jets for the two founders. I mean. You know, obviously, there's that whole disconnect, which everyone's always fascinated with, and which lasted of Bill Gates for much of his career, you know, this sort of young guy who goes around in those awful sandals, um, who is potentially worth such an enormous amount of money. Um, But it is a moment, I mean, you could, you could argue that that sort of moment came really with Google, you know, when when Google became so big, and, and Microsoft, and that sort of the old media of News Corporation. You know, there could, the opposite thing is why is news corporations still worth as much given the strength of new media? Mm. Um, it is paper money, but that paper money has often been translated. I mean, obviously, it's had a tough sort of couple of months, Facebook. So it, lots of things can happen and these things, you know, things go up as well as down and the whole privacy issue and, um, you know, yes, they, once they, it becomes so slammed, big. slammed the Czech Republic this week, weren't they, of, 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 mm. of privacy. And they're launching this uh, Facebook Places, aren't they, which is this attempt to, yeah. to try and try and... Um, neutralise Twitter and all the rest of it, but whether all that will work, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I think it's—I mean, it's still an enormous force, and it's—you yeah. know, people have kind of—it hasn't gone the way of other social networks. It doesn't seem to be as faddish as as others like MySpace, which is and, and Bieber, which is which has really really gone down. Although there's a really fascinating um, David Rowan, the editor late of this perishable, yeah. so editor of Wired UK, wrote a really fascinating piece in GQ saying why he didn't use Facebook. Mm. Um, and it's caused some sort of flutter on Twitter, if you can say that, <laughs> with our That's own Jeff good. Jarvis taking um, uh, taking issue with it. Um, but, I mean, some of his points are really interesting. And to have someone like David, who, OK, is not does not come from that sort of tech background particularly, but it's sort of saying why he doesn't like using it is, but, I think, really interesting. Which is why? Well, he had a list of reasons, you know, the privacy issue, the whole thing about the sort of work and home. Um, he doesn't like, you know, he, he sort of made a point about big corporation. Um, big corporation is not doing it for your good, doing it for their own. Really, you don't read that many things like that. I, no. And it was interesting. Uh, some quick hits on uh, uh, TV again. Um, all change on daytime TV. Jana Bennett, uh, Maggie, has announced the end of property show to buy or not to buy. <sighs> can't, I can't believe what will we, what, what will you watch now? Um, and even more terribly, Diagnosis Murder and Murder, She Wrote are being, being phased out. What's oh, well, that's happened? very sensible. I mean, they're putting more money into daytime. Right. Remember, there's this 10 million boost. It's been um, lambasted by the trust. We know that there's uh, quite a lot of drama coming up, which will take the place of that uh, early afternoon slot. Um, it, moving on, there's 10 new commissions coming in October. Uh, this is just uh, a kind of evolution, adding value to... Um, daytime. Remember, for significant people, daytime is actually their their prime time. Mm. Uh, old people who go to bed early, who um, you know don't really get out during the day, it really matters to them. So um, I think refreshment is great. Actually. Okay. Um, uh, talking about refreshing, um, well, this is more sort of bringing back than refreshing. Jane and Bennett's got this plan to bring back some magic, real magic. I mean, actual magic tricks to uh, Saturday nights, um, with or without Paul Daniels. I don't, <laughs> somehow I doubt that he'll be too busy dancing. Yeah. He's Shine are developing a new show where uh, it says here three top magicians will team up with a celebrity partner to competing to perform a series of tricks over five episodes. 
Um, um, I think it's uh, inevitable. Things are always being reinvented. I mean, just the Strictly Come Dancing is really, you know, the revival of ballroom dancing with uh, very sexy costumes. Uh, Paul Daniels lasted until 94, having a, a magic show on the BBC. And uh, we've seen, in the meantime, people like David Blaine, uh, come and go and um, I think that there are only uh, several things that you can do uh, for Saturday night entertainment we've seen the sort of total kind of wipeout physical uh, games it, where you fall into it's a knockout type yeah. of thing that, that's one thing that's come back to so it was always going to be uh, magic at some point really I mean we've seen Darren Brown as well remember yeah. having really uh, quite breakthrough audiences on Channel 4 for what are whatever we want to call it illusions, illusions yeah. really but that is actually part of the magic branch so uh, why not Okay. Um, uh, over on BBC Three, um, uh, they're rescheduling this Question Time. Well, Question Time Youth uh, is going to be part of part of the schedule. Um, I wondered uh, um, if you think, Maggie, that Danny Cohen is up for a move from BBC Three. He's being touted as the successor to Jay Hunt. Do you think that, that's up for likely? A move like he wants to do it, or he's he's up for it, <laughs> up to it. Up to, well, he definitely wants it. He definitely wants it, Jane, doesn't he? Uh, I mean, that's quite clear. Well, he hasn't said that publicly, has he? Although, I mean, you know, because publicly, obviously, he says BBC Three. I love Marvellous. it. I want to yeah. stay here forever. He's the um, he, he handled himself very well over Channel Four by saying he didn't want the job. That's endeared him greatly to the mm. the kind of the grandees, the sort of Alimento yeah, player situation. He actually came out. He came out quite of that well. Yeah. I, the, the thing is, really though, BBC One is a very very different animal to BBC Three or indeed Channel Four. Uh, it, it would be a big move. It is an extremely big move. I would question whether it would have been better or will be better for him to have more experience, perhaps running a BBC Two type of channel, which. Remember, with BBC Three, all you're really worrying about is 8 o'clock to about half past 10, and you, you, you can rely on EastEnders repeats and Family Guy. And whatever. It's one programme a night, isn't it? Really? It's this one or two. It's not, it's not that huge, huge worry of running a, a massive channel like BBC One, which, which is, is, uh, requires a great deal of bravery. Okay, um, thank you very much uh, for those insights. There's more on all of those stories at mediaguardian.co.uk. Okay, finally, let's get back to that interview with Tim Davey. As we mentioned, he was due uh, to come in and give the soon-approaching radio festival a big plug. Now, Davey started his job as the BBC's most senior radio person a week before the 2008 festival. So uh, how does he see the health of the industry going into this one? Actually, there is a growing sense of confidence around radio, which is counterintuitive when you think about how much is going on in media. But if you think about the listening figures and what's happened, I think there's quite a lot to celebrate in terms of the creative horsepower of radio and you know here we are doing media talk uh, successful podcasts out there audio is not in bad shape and i think many people continually sensed uh, that radio was firmly on the back foot as a media yeah i i'm more confident than i was so that's that's the first thing i think although it's a slow journey i'd also say um that we we're pulling together as an industry now and focusing on digital the future and i mean that in the broadest sense not just dab in a way that we weren't two years ago which is relatively encouraging um you you mentioned that people maybe weren't pulling together uh in a few years ago in the way that they are now in fact um you know last last year big radio groups didn't turn up mm-hmm. at, at the festival global radio they are going to this year aren't they absolutely and, and, what, and, and what's, so what's changed though 
Well, I mean, one of the things I, I said looking at the radio festival, it was a pretty obvious observation, which is if we're going to have a serious festival looking at the whole of radio, it seemed a shame if Global and Bauer and other players weren't there. So part of, frankly, me chairing the festival was, was to say, let's all get together and, you know, have those conversations. So that's been really me coming in and saying that's part of what a successful radio festival is. And, I mean, wonderfully, uh, they're all coming along and I think we'll, we'll have all the players in the room. Um, so um, I have been on the um, committee that's been helping you organise this, although I have not made the recent meeting, actually, yeah. so I'm, my attendance has been very poor, I should mm-hmm. say. However, so um, you know a lot more about what, what, what's mm-hmm. going in the programme. What are the highlights on, of, that you would pick out? Well, I think there's numerous highlights. Um, let me give you a flavour of a few. Um, obviously, as, as we've mentioned, we've got all the top dogs going along and having a session with the Steve Hewlett and discussing where the, where, where, where the industry is. So and you're going to get them all on the stage? Yeah, so, so all the, well, at the same time, so myself, Ashley, um, etc. So Ashley, Ashley Table. Sorry, Ashley Table. Yep. Um, we, we've we've um, also got um, an interesting session, actually, in terms of looking at some um, alternative perspectives on radio. So people outside radio, how would they run it? Um, how, how well do we pitch radio in terms of advertising? We've got um, some fun and games in terms of a reunion of the original Piccadilly crew with Chris Evans and Timmy Mallet and uh, uh, other, other such guests. Um, we've got Meet the Controller sessions. We've kind of stolen that a little bit from Edinburgh. So the, the Bob Shennons and others talking about um, where they're taking their networks, um, et cetera, et cetera. But go and have a look at the programme, Matt. It's all there. Uh, Tim Davy, and he did promise us that this year's agenda wouldn't be dominated again by the rights and wrongs of DAB, which is a relief to everybody. Um, are you going, Maggie? No, I'm not. Jane? I'm not sure. Not sure. Well, see, this is you know this is this is the job that he has to do then, isn't it, to persuade the cream of British journalism that they really ought we to. We will. Make the, Media Guardian will be Media represented, Guardian, obviously. Yeah. Obviously, I will definitely be going because I'm chairing some events. Uh, and well, uh, now we'll go. Yeah. Now that we know that. And uh, so it's um, although I've, I'm, one of my events has been moved. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. I think enough self promotion. You're not Chris Moore. No, no, I think I've been. <laughs> I think I've been bigfooted. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they, uh, we'll be doing uh, media talk from the radio festival too um, and there'll be a live recording of it so if you're coming to the radio festival do come to that in Salford as we were saying from Monday the 18th to Wednesday the 20th of October and there's full details about rates and how to book and everything at radioacademy.org uh, and as I was saying we're on stage the top panel um, actually will be on precisely at the same time that Graham Norton is being interviewed by Mark Goodyear so uh, the choice ladies and gentlemen is yours uh, that's it for this week uh, but before we go it's, custom- it's customary to share something that we've learned from our past seven days uh, of media. Um, Maggie, what have you been up to? In well, I, I had something so interesting. I've just had to check it out. And that is that um, we all know that Daybreak with um, Adrian Charles and uh, etc. has not had the smoothest of uh, launches. Well, their viewing figures have not been terrific. They're not they? been terrific. They're up for an award. But, well, that's an ITV-made programme, remember. The, 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 uh, they're up for the National, National Television Awards, yes. yes. But anyway, weeks. They, they spent a million pounds on their new set, which is very spacey and elegant with purple sofas. But it overlooks, as you know, the River Thames and it overlooks the City of London. The problem is that for eight months of the year, of course, the view is black because uh, the programme starts at six o'clock. Well, 
the well, sun. I, I said this before the, the, the dead. So de- what's the solution? Break, middle of the bloody night. So what's the solution? <laughs> well, I can tell you what the solution they is. F- they, they have paid St. Paul's. They have paid St. Paul's to illuminate St. Paul's. No. Uh, yes, this That's is a, a true story. story. I just, I, well, you'll find it on Media Guardian. Uh, so that, so that it's illuminated, so that Adrian and um, Christine have a have a, have something to look out on. Totally absurd. But is that enough though? It's important to that all all the rest of all the rest of the skyline needs to be lit up. Well, maybe as well. ITV will have to pay a few more people. <laughs> How ridiculous! Um, they, they could, of course, move to Salford. That's that's the, where it's uh, where it's sunnier first thing in the morning. There's no one there; just a few junior people in the children's well, department um, <laughs> and BBC Breakfast. Um, uh, Jane, what have you been up to? Um, I can't top that. I think that's quite good. Not, uh, you know, I'm sort of watching lots of television at the moment. What? I think it's like a top time for TV. So I don't want to go out much because there's uh, so much. What, what, well, Mad Men literally yeah. is, dominates my life and I feel great sadness when it's over, which is why I always turn Twitter for sustenance. Um, is it big on Twitter as well? No, it wasn't because everyone was watching this seven days. wretched seven days, <laughs> which didn't feel like any fun at all. Um, and uh, I just think there's lots of things that are on there. You know, the in between us. I mean, I've no, been watching tigers I, on Nature programs don't do it for me. Really. But, they, but again, <laughs> well, you some, see very some, interesting some, BBC nature's One. Nature programs. They're, they're, they're <laughs> <laughs> but you know, they've been stripping it three nights well, a week. Exactly. See, yeah, which again is an interesting change. You know, from just yeah. waiting every week to get your next fix of tigers in Bhutan. No, but I wish they'd do that for Mad Men. I don't want to wait another week. I agree. Actually, I would just sit there i mean we have to buy well we can't buy the board sets well we could sit here chatting all day (laughs) but sadly we haven't got all day so um uh, thank you very much uh it was it was lovely to have two ladies on the program by the way because the past few shows have been very male doing a bit for diversity i do i don't don't mind a bit of male domination now and again but (laughs) in these circumstances uh, that's not what we require. Remember, you can post your feedback on everything that you've heard on the blog at guardian.co.uk slash mediatalk or follow me on Twitter. Uh, Media Talk is produced by Ben Green. I'm Matt Wells, and we'll see you next time. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.